scripture reading for tonight comes from Luke chapter 23, 33 through 43. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord. Um, do you you do you know about the Holy Roman Empire? I mean, I kind of do, or I I thought I did. I mean, it's one of those things that I've heard of, you know, um, vaguely, and I kind of thought I knew what it was. You know, those things where you you vaguely know about them, and you you think you should know what they are all about, but you really don't understand what they are, like the Boer Wars, you know, or Belgium. You know, it's like, it's one of those kinds of things. But I'm sure you know about the Holy Roman Empire. You know, you probably even know about Belgium. I don't know, you look smart. Um, But really, so the Holy Roman Empire, I did a little looking into it. It was around for like more than a thousand years. A thousand years, and it dominated most of Europe. And the emperor was crowned by the pope. The church and the state were so close together that they were just practically one. Of course, there were conflicts and, you know, like reorganizations and realignments and the Reformation thing messed with it a little bit. But still, a thousand years? That's pretty good. I mean, that's a pretty good run. It's like almost half the time Jesus has been alive. It's a long time. But so it was finally dissolved completely completely, completely, uh, in 1918, in the aftermath of the First Great War. I mean, that's not very long ago. And uh, so after, after that First World War, new boundaries were drawn, and these are the boundaries that largely define the political states of much of modern Europe. And also, previous to this dissolution, France and Russia had become wholly secular states, you know, much previous in the case of France. So this is the context, and now it's like 1925. And the Vatican and the Pope, led by Pope Pius XI, they're looking back on this pretty recent history, and they're taking note of the rise of this nationalism and secularism they see coming. And they realize that the church is losing ground, and something should be done about it. So they come up with the Feast 
of Christ the King Sunday. Yeah. Christ the King Sunday was invented in 1925. I mean, I kind of assumed church calendar things were based on things that happened, I don't know, like, like a really long time ago, you know? I mean, like a really long time ago, not 85 years ago. I mean, like the Feast of Epiphany. The Feast of Epiphany, that's like located on the winter solstice, and it's based on the day the wise men come to the baby Jesus. Like that kind of old is what I'm talking about. I mean, 2,000 years. And like, I think the solstice has probably even been around longer than that. So, I mean, that's what I'm talking about, not 85 years. And I never would have guessed either that, that church feast days are established for political reasons. Well, I guess maybe if I thought about it, it wouldn't surprise me. But really, 85 years ago, Pope Pius XI issued an encyclical proclaiming that our Lord Jesus Christ is King of the Universe. Do you think Jesus appreciated the promotion? I mean, it's a pretty big step up from Savior of the World to King of the Universe, the whole universe, you know. Like, I wonder who was doing the job before 1925. I don't know, you know. And it's a really big step up from being King of the Jews, you know. Yeah, the King of the Jews. Um, you know, that's what's sort of baffling about the Pope's proclamation. When Jesus is being called King in this text we read today, they're making fun of him. You know, they're mocking him. When we read this text today for Christ the King Sunday, when they say king, when they nail that inscription, king of the Jews up on the cross, it was like this sick joke meant to point out Jesus' weakness and powerlessness. You know, and what's equally bizarre about this proclamation is that there is this constant running theme throughout the Old Testament and New Testament that is decidedly anti-king. Much of the prophet's words from God are about the corruption of Israel's kings. They're warning to the kings. And in Matthew's gospel, after Jesus feeds the multitudes, the text said that the multitudes rushed forward and tried to make him their king by force. And you know what Jesus did? He didn't receive a scepter. No, he ran and hid. He didn't want to be king. And Jesus refused to enter Jerusalem as a conquering king, despite his disciples' ongoing belief that that was the purpose of their whole journey there. So, in bestowing this kingship on Jesus, the church did what Jesus' original followers could not do, what Jesus refused and did not want, and the church found, as their only historical ally in proclaiming the kingship of Jesus, is Jesus' own torturers and executioners. Happy freaking Christ the King Sunday. <laughs> but you know, what appears to have started as a misguided attempt by the Vatican to reassert the power of the church in the political life of Europe turns out to be a prescient political and theological statement not too many years later with the rise of Hitler's National Socialism in Germany. In 1937, 
Pope Pius XI, the same pope, issued th this encyclical, the only one issued in German, that was snuck into Germany and then read from the pulpit of every Catholic church, reaffirming the feast of Christ the King and condemning national socialist ideology, the myth of race and blood, and the fallacies of Nazis' conception of God. The Protestant confessing uh, church, under the leadership of Karl Barth, issued the Barman Declaration, saying much the same thing three years earlier. So, like, asserting something about the reign of God, maybe even the power of God in that context, probably seemed like a really good thing to do. Now, the scripture that we read today for Christ the King Sunday was not one from the original lectionary. It was not the text that would have been read in Germany in 1937. It was revised in the Catholic lectionary after Vatican II. The original Christ the King Sunday text was this bit of apocalyptic from Matthew. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in the sky with power and great glory. Now that sounds like the king of the universe right there. But, you know, I think maybe politics have changed. Or theology of the gospel maybe compelled the change. Or maybe theology has changed because the assertion of that kind of power is nowhere to be found in this new revised lectionary reading for Christ the King Sunday. The revisers of the lectionary seem to understand the problematic nature of the feast of Christ the King, but they didn't really have the authority to remove it. But what they did, I think, is far better. They found in it an opportunity to deconstruct the entire notion of human power systems, whether kingness or kingdoms or fascism or pseudo-democratic capitalism or full-on corporatocracy. Following the major thrust of the New Testament, they gave us a scripture that asserts Jesus the Christ ushering in the kingdom of God, and it's in stark contrast to the kingdom or power systems of our own creation. It's intended to proclaim the headship or the rulerdom of Jesus over all institutions, political, entities, economic, and cultural ethoses. Because even like back then, kingdoms were way on the way out. Of course, this text shows us that Jesus the Christ reigns in a very different way over a very different kind of kingdom of the world than this world. This 10-verse section of Luke's elaborate passion narrative shows a humiliation, not a coronation. This is not a triumphant sovereign taking his rightful throne, but a convicted criminal being mocked with the word king, while the Roman and Jewish leaders respond to Jesus' challenge of their power with violence and retribution, making a sacrifice of him to restore a distorted balance of justice. Jesus' reign over the kingdom of God compels him to ask forgiveness for those powers and principalities 
that have condemned him to torture and death. Now, the dichotomy of these two kingdoms seems to be played out in the criminals that are strung up on either side of him. One criminal joined the mocking soldiers, aligning himself with his own executioners and the power over mechanisms of this world. And the second, but the second criminal says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me as if I were someone that has been known, not as something ill-used and discarded by this system. It is a dehumanizing kingdom versus a humanizing kingdom. And Jesus responds with the pronouncement, today you will be with me in paradise. A reassurance that the kingdom of this world that has enslaved you by its systems will no longer hold you. You will return to the garden, to paradise, to Eden, where even God chose not to rule, but to walk side by side, being with us and for us. Surely Jesus could not be bestowing this salvation only on the criminal who asked to be remembered when he is surrounded in that instant by so many criminals, mockers, players, soldiers, sinners, who are equally enslaved by that system. No, he has to be making that statement, that proclamation to everyone, to all of us. This is the good news, that Jesus' death dismantles the power of all systems, all powers, and restores paradise, Eden, not a power over, but a walking with, side by side. And all are freed by it. The rulers, the oppressors, the Obamas, the Palentes, you and me. We are free to walk with all people, without disdain. There may be disruption, but without disdain. This text, this gospel, is very political. It's radical. It's revolutionary. It's about love. I invite you now to practice walking side by side.